All right, quick message from our sponsor. We know that growing pains hurt. And when you're a startup sales team, you know that pain all too well. Thankfully, there's the HubSpot for Startups program. It's a special program that gives startups discounts on HubSpot. The platform unites your entire front office from marketing to sales to support. Plus, they have a ton of other resources that startup founders can use to scale. So get ready to close more deals and make growing pains a thing of the past. Visit HubSpot.com slash startups to see how much you can save. I sold internet real estate to the tune of a half a billion dollars worth. Dot app, dot blog, dot church. Some of these you've probably seen. Right. My company was responsible for selling a lot of those. It's what's called a ascending clock second price auction. The way it works is, in this case, every 20 minutes, it increments up and it's ascending. We'd start the bidding at $200,000 times the number of bidders. $600,000 to start. Every 20 minutes, it goes up by 600000 with a minimum increment of 20%. You know, once we get to $3.6 million, it goes up higher. Your top auctions went for how much? What is it, like $10 million or is it more like... It's over $100 million. Shield, you're here. Yeah. Did you bring your A game? Always bring my A game. All right. Do you stretch in the mornings? Do you eat your breakfast? What do you do to to get going in the morning? I actually eat no breakfast, drink no coffee ever. I just a faster now. You're like uh, intermittent fasting. That's not what you called it. You you happen to not eat breakfast. I just happen to not eat breakfast because I don't like it. And then if I drink any coffee, I won't sleep at all, like a wink at night. So no caffeine for me. I just naturally am lucky that I wake up with a lot of energy. It's awesome. Great. And so you're here to tell your story. I met you maybe four or five years ago. I don't remember how long it was. Yeah, probably. You came over to my office and I don't even know how you got there, to be honest. I don't even know. (laughs) Did I reach? I probably reached out to you. I don't don't remember. Yeah. But I remember sitting at the bar in our office. I do. Yep. And you told me one of the craziest stories of how you <laughs> of, of how someone made it that I've met here in, yeah. in San Francisco. So million dollar question. You've made a million bucks. How did you do it? Yeah. So I sold internet real estate to the tune of a half a billion dollars worth. And when I say <laughs> <laughs> internet real estate, I mean top level domains, which is like a, a domain would be like million.com. But a top-level domain would be the .com part. So there are all these new ones that came out, .app, .blog, .church. Some of these you've probably seen. Right. My company was responsible for selling a lot of those. Gotcha. Okay. If I wanted to create Sean.com, yep. which I do, yeah. and was taken, and so I was like, okay, shit, what do I want to be instead? I can do Sean123.com. That's less cool. <laughs> Could I get... Sean.co, could I get Sean.xyz, Sean.xyz, Sean.badass, whatever, right? (laughs) So these other domains, these other dot whatevers exist now, and you were responsible for selling them to the highest bidders that the whole class of dot like what's a what's a what's one of the famous like not dot com not dot co but like what are some of the other big ones so dot app is a big one a lot of these have just started to come out in the past couple of years so you have not heard of them that much yet dot app is gonna be a big one i think dot blog potentially all the blogs have gone right. decreased in value since this whole thing came out dot xyz is a friend of mine owns and he, his, his thing is the alphabet ends in dot xyz why shouldn't your domain name okay he made a bet on that yeah. okay so there's a whole bunch of these that are out there and you were selling them so let's rewind to the beginning of that you're sitting around where do you get the idea to even go do this how do you even realize that this is an opportunity worth chasing yeah so i just heard through the news that you could buy your own dot whatever in 2012 it was all over the news like 
people can get your own dot whatever. And so I wanted to find out more about this. And naturally, there are a few things that come to mind. Like if you were doing it today, you might want to do something like in the crypto space, like .ptc. Unfortunately, in 2012, nobody did that. So <laughs> in 2012, you had to apply. You had to pay $185,000 to apply for your own .whatever. So what would you apply for? So like I would – I mean the first one that comes to mind is like porn basically. Dot so porn. Like, right? Like okay. what's the most popular thing on the internet? Like <laughs> .xxx, porn, sex, something sure, like that. Sure. Right? Because if I owned that, then every – basically anybody who wants to have a porn site – now they have an alternative to .com, which is usually taken. Exactly. They can come to me, and I can sell them their other domains, essentially. That's exactly right. Yeah. ICANN, which is the governing body of the internet, actually made an exception and like a while ago created .xxx. How do they decide which of these are going to exist? Because some of these are actually country codes, right? Like So all of the two-letter ones, .co, .vc, .tv, they're all country codes. So <laughs> .vc is St. Vincent and the Grenadines. <laughs> oh, really? What's TV? Tuvalu. <laughs> So I don't even know what that is. Okay, yeah. great. .io is like the British Indian Ocean Territories. Gotcha. They're all so, they, so under the premise of every country can have their own, yeah. it actually immediately got co-opted by business to be like, great, .tv. Yeah. You know, sports.tv. And remember, remember like 10 years ago, there were all these like .ly domains? Yes. That's Libya. You're supporting <laughs> Libya. <laughs> and do they get anything out of it? Yeah, they do. They, okay. it's the country, like the country manages them. And like if you buy a .co domain, that's Colombia. So nobody else could have bought it. The country owned it and they're, and they sell off the different things. So how much does the, do you know how much the countries make off? Like how much did Libya make off of all the .ly's it sold? Do you have any idea? I don't, I don't know. Think about it this way. They probably make, you know, whatever it costs. And we, we could e easily do the math, but it's in the hundreds of millions that they've made. Wow. Okay. So this is the country ones. And then they started doing just words like dot app or yeah. whatever. So, so the way this thing worked was in 2012, you had to apply for your own dot whatever. So let's say that me and you applied for dot app. You had to pay $185,000 just to apply. And by the way, they got 2,000 applications, which means they made $360 million in application fees. Wow. And if you were the only one that applied for .app, you got it. It was yours. You paid 185k one time and then, you know, some ongoing fees, but it was yours. And then, by the way, you could sell everything .app. Like Facebook.app would have to pay you something per wow. year. All these things would have to pay you. But if you, me, and let's say some third party who should be used as a third party. So me, you, and Donald Trump get into a okay, bidding war. me, you, and Trump. So me, you, and Trump all. Oh, we're just doing this so I could beat Trump. Here, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. So me, you, and Trump all want .app. So ICANN, the governing body of the internet, says, you guys figure it out amongst yourselves. If you can't figure it out, at some later date, ICANN will hold an auction and they'll get all the proceeds. Okay. But ICANN prefers that we sort it out amongst ourselves. So what happens next? So you go to Donald Trump and you say – Well, we first ante up our, our fee. We, put, we, we, we just put 185K in just to say – That was just the I'm application interested. fee. Right. So that's, that's basically a sunk cost. Right. And, and then they had a reveal one day. They were like, here are all the people that applied. Okay. And then we found out, ah, shit, Sean applied, Trump applied. I don't know if I'm going to get this. Right. So then what happens is like the three of us would like be in this what we call contention set, which means like contenders to, contenders win, it. to yeah. win it. And so this happened and the players aren't like me, you and Trump, although kind of similar. They are They're like Google, Amazon. There's this billionaire guy who lives in the Cayman Islands, really interesting fellow. There's a company called Donuts that raised $180 million like seed round <laughs> effectively. Just to do Just this. for this. Okay, so me, you, and Trump, we go into the bidding war. Yep. And so we've each paid our application fee. We've each paid our application fee. And then what I said was, are you a better negotiator than Trump? You wrote the art of the deal, man. Are you yeah. a better negotiator? <laughs> and you might say no. And the people involved, again, are these – it's like Google and this billionaire. Right. 
And so what we said was we can create a fair, transparent mechanism for you guys to sort this out. The way it works is in this three-party auction, it's what's called a ascending clock second price auction. What does okay. that mean? <laughs> so what that means, it's, it's really simple. Ascending clock, it's a clock auction, mean, meaning it's timed. Okay. So in this case, every 20 minutes, it increments up and it's ascending. Okay. Simple. So in a three-party auction, we'd start the bidding at $200,000 times the number of bidders. So it'd be $600,000 to start. Every 20 minutes, it goes up by 600000 with a minimum increment of 20%. You know, once we get to $3.6 million, it goes up higher. Okay. What's your willingness to pay? Okay. So I'm willing to pay right out the gate. And now my strategy, should I be telling my top bid or my like lowball offer? So you, for the sake of this, you're going to tell us your top bid. Okay. But in the actual auction, you'd only say whether you're in on each round or not. Okay, cool. So let's say I'm willing to pay up to $10 million bucks to $10 get million bucks. Okay, cool. Donald Trump, he says he's a billionaire. I don't actually think he has that <laughs> much money. So let's say his willingness to pay is like $5 million bucks. Okay. And then my willingness to pay, like, I think .app has a lot of value. It's going to have a lot of value in the future. You know, domain names are less important, but you still want your, like, dot app and like your your app is what's important and it's a memorable way for people to remember you know what right what the thing is so i'm willing to pay more i'm going to say i'd be willing to pay like 12 million bucks okay so in this auction what's going to happen is we're going to start the bidding 600,000 and we used to say yes we're still in we're in okay so either you say you're in or you're out and if you're out, you say what price you were in. Let's say Donald Trump was actually only in for a half million bucks. Right. In the first increment, he would say, I'm out and I'm in for 500000 Right. Okay. So we, we keep bidding. We keep bidding. And then, Sean, once we get to $10 million, you're out. Right. That means I've won. Okay. And so I pay $10 bucks. Ah, uh, okay. So you were, you were willing to be in at 10. You might have continued to be in up till 12. I would have been. But, but you, nobody knows nobody, that. Nobody else is there. Yeah. Nobody, yeah. Knows, nobody knows what your real number is going to be. Exactly. Okay. And then, so... I pay ten million bucks, but the real beauty of this auction is where the ten million bucks goes. Okay. So who gets the money? Uh, well, nobody owns that app, so is it I can that gets it? I don't know who, who gets the money. So a lot of people would think I can gets the money, but actually this is a separate auction from I can. So in this auction, the people that get paid are you and Donald Trump. So the ten million bucks oh, that I pay, pay go away. Yeah. We pay, we're paying you off effectively to go away. And really what this is, is like anytime you're splitting a partnership, this is like a good way to do it. So like if you and me were in business together, 50-50 JV, right. how would we decide, like how much would I have to pay you to, to like- give free... you my shares. Yeah, exactly. So we would basically do this kind of auction where like whoever's willing to pay the most to the other person. And that's the oh, idea that's behind this okay. auction. And so they actually get the money. They get the money. So, so I'm just... paying you guys each 5 million bucks minus my auctioneer fee, which would be in this case $400,000. So we took 4% of the auction fee. Wow. So the first thing is, were there people who just went into the auctions trying to get paid out, trying to you lose? couldn't because you had to apply basically a year before any of this. Like you Before knew you knew how the auction. auctions would work. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, that's cool. So that already pre- prevented that from happening. The second thing was your top auctions went for, you know, how much? What are we, is it like 10 million or is it more like 100 million? It's over 100 million. Wow. Yeah. So I can't talk about the exact prices on the names, sure. but the top couple went for over 100 million. And the cheapest one probably still went for like a half million bucks. Right. Okay. So I'm fascinated. But you were sitting there and you said, oh, cool. Interesting. They're releasing these domain names. Yeah. But then we fast forwarded to, and then I'm running these high stakes $100 million auctions. <laughs> yeah. 
certainly there was something in between where you were like, okay, how does this work? Don't totally. They, do they need an auction solution? Can I make that auction solution? You know, how did that actually? How did that idea come together from the moment you were just curious about these new domains? Yeah. So it was really my co-founder is like an expert in auction theory. We knew this was happening, and we just like sat down and we were like, how do we devise a way for this to work? Okay. And how do we build any credibility in this industry? Nobody knows us. So we did a couple of things that I think worked really well in our favor. A, like, you know, our co-founder is an, a PhD from Stanford in auction theory. And was, so, like, this was just a buddy of yours or? Buddy, yeah. yeah. Actually, there's another totally random story, but I met my co-founder on a train in India in 2006. Just sat next to him. <laughs> Kind of. Wow. It turns out he was a friend of a friend, but he's like a German dude. Right. And I was traveling in India. We ended up on this like 40 hour train ride together, became really good friends, have like worked together a bunch of times since. Wow. Okay. All right. That's amazing. And that's also funny how common that is, how common the randomness is. Yeah. Your buddy knows a lot about auction theory. Yeah. And so how did you how did you even know that the companies were going to have trouble sort of sorting this out amongst themselves? Because these are billionaires and Google and Facebook. So you're not even talking to these people. How did you know that they needed this type of a solution versus we um, actually just talked to them and we were like, hey, do you need a solution? And most of them said no, actually, like they were like, (laughs) we don't want to work with you. (laughs) And in fact. Like for a long time, it looked like this business was going to be a total goose egg. You did what there? You emailed the lawyers. You were calling somebody. Yeah, emailed, called, like show up in person. Yep. Like so, they had these conferences three or four times a year. We'd go to all the conferences and the domain conferences. The domain conferences. Okay. Nice. <laughs> really? Must be a, a, a that sounds like a party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was cool because they were like all over the world. Like I went to Johannesburg, Buenos Aires, Singapore. Like literally. you don't even know if this is a business yet. You're just following your nose. You're just curious. Curious, yeah. And so my co-founder Ulrich has this like loves to tell the story of like you got to just get in front of these people. And so I literally just like looked up everyone who had not responded to me yeah. on LinkedIn, on Facebook, whatever, and tried to find their face. Like, memorize what their face looked like. And then at this conference, I would just be searching for them. And then, so at one point, I saw this guy that I needed to get in touch with for one of our auctions. Okay. Because, like, in this three-party auction, if I only have two of the three parties, I don't have an auction. I don't make any money. And so you need these auctions, the some of them were like 13 apply. or 14 parties. Right. So if I, got, if I got 13 of the 14, I don't have an auction. I have no money. Mm. But if I get 14, I'm really doing well. Right. So this party that I could not get in touch with no matter how hard I tried. I was in Buenos Aires, saw this guy outside smoking. And then I was like, how do I get in touch with this guy? I don't smoke cigarettes, but I bought a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> and then I just went outside and started smoking a cigarette with him. And I was like, as if I hadn't been trying to get in touch with him this whole time. I was like, You're just shooting the shit. And then ultimately like you know, became friendly with this guy. And then I was like, oh, like, you're the guy. I actually, it's funny, like, we're running this auction. I've been trying to get in touch with you. And then he was, like, way more amenable. He, like, right. started always trying to talking and hanging That's amazing. Out. Yeah. That's, okay, it's not quite like, you know, the CIA operatives that go undercover and start doing heroin to get into the cartel. <laughs> no. But it's close. It's the closest <laughs> that, you know, I, I've heard. Okay, so you, you start smoking the cigarette. So you're trying to get in touch with all these people. And, and then th- convince them that our way is the way to do it. And we had a couple problems. It was the billionaire in the Cayman Islands I was telling you about. He did not want our auction to happen. If our auction happened, he was reasoning that the prices would go up because people are incentivized for the price to go up because they want to sell. Right. They want to make they money. They want to get the money, yeah. And so he wrote 
like a letter to the Department of Justice and was like, if these guys do this, would this be a bad thing? And the Department of Justice sent him basically a non-response, but he publicized it as if the Department of, D- of Justice was against what we were doing. I see. And so that made Google a lot more suspect of us. Right. And, you know, they don't want to do anything that could potentially be a foul of the Department of Justice. So we ended up having to work our asses off to get Google. Like I spent a year like going to Mountain View, convincing people like, you know, met with a lot of people at Google trying to convince them, like, draw on a whiteboard, our solution. Right. The reality is this is better than another outcome for the Department of Justice. The other option is they could get into a room and negotiate. I don't see how that's better than this auction. And why did they ultimately come around? So what was your pitch? You get you finally get in front of Google and you're like, look, you're the guy who needs to agree to do this. Yeah. Their initial reaction, you're saying, was, no, we're not interested in this, uh, in working with you guys exactly. And if one party doesn't want to work with you guys, it doesn't work. So it doesn't work. Seems like, seems like a terrible business, but yeah. I love that it worked out. So what was ultimately, what was your pitch to convince them that this will be better for you than everybody free for all trying to negotiate? Okay, so a few things. Some people were worried that the price would go up based off of this. But the reality is... If like everybody has a price that they're willing to pay, and you're not gonna you're not gonna bid higher than the price you're willing to pay because then you might end up getting it. Right. <laughs> like if you end up winning the auction for a higher price just you because you're pay. trying to drive up the price, that doesn't make any sense. So like this whole notion was unfounded, and you know we were able to convince them that like we got Google's chief economist Hal Varian involved, and it was cool. It was like a really amazing, amazing experience. And then Google tested us out first. They had us run another auction for them just see how they liked working with us. Right. And it went well. And is this a piece of software or wh- how did you actually, what was the product in this case? Yeah, the product is, yeah, it sounds like relatively trivial. It's actually not that trivial to build. Like there's a lot of security involved. And yeah, it, it is like a online portal where you can go in, make bids, see what happens. There's also, of course, like a banking component. So even to enter a bid, you have to have put down a, a deposit. And we have, because the bidders are so international, they're in accounts all over the world. Right. And then even after you've bid, we have to hold a bunch of money in escrow. Right. And one of our bidders, a large <laughs> software company, had a requirement that you couldn't use the money that they gave you to bid against them in a future auction. So we basically had to hold this money in escrow. Oh, so wow. we're holding like hundreds of millions of dollars <laughs> in escrow in accounts like right. in Hong Kong. It's Kind of That's actually pretty smart of them, though, to uh, yeah. to to put that in. Can I tell you my bidding story like this? Yeah, I think I know the story, and it's a beautiful story. So, so I didn't know how any of this shit works, but four or five years ago, maybe maybe more, I don't even remember at this point. My investor Michael Birch comes to me. He's on the podcast. His episode's called "The Hippie with a Billion Dollars." <laughs> so he comes to me and he says, "Hey, you know this company I sold to AOL called Bebo? It's actually AOL wrote it off. This guy kind of bought it off them. He is not really doing very good with it. In fact, we're going to sue him because he took our." money. We invested in him. It's not really working out. But long story short, this company is going to go through bankruptcy. Would we want the asset? Like we could get the domain name. We could get the servers. We can get the email list of maybe 80 to 100 million people. Maybe there's some value in this. And hey, wouldn't it be cool if we could turn this around? It was more really that. It was like, should it, we wouldn't buy- it be cool? If- yeah, that was my baby. I sold it to them. They kind yeah. of besmirched it. And like, maybe I'll buy it back and do it again. Like, wouldn't that be cool? And I was like, I don't know. Yeah, that, you know, I was like, interested because <laughs> yeah. I don't know any better. And he was like, you know, most internet companies never make a comeback, but let's try it. Same sort of thing. It goes through this bankruptcy process. I don't know anything about bankruptcy, but there's like a few weeks and then it's like there's a court date in LA. We got to go to LA and what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to buy it out of bankruptcy essentially. And we, we just had to pay off a few debts. You know, whatever the money we put in, that'll go to the debtors and the asset could be ours. So we go down to LA 
it's me, our lawyer, and our COO. And beforehand, we're trying to come up with our strategy. And we're like, <laughs> you know, chickens with our heads cut off. We're like, well, yeah. what's it worth? And we're like, well, who, who the hell knows? It's like, we had very little data. Plus, you're just like estimating what you think you can make it into, which is yeah. a dream, really. And we don't know who else is interested. We've seen in the data some other companies that are sniffing around because they requested some data. Oh, yeah. And then you can see who opened the folders. Okay, yeah, it looks yeah, like yeah. these other companies are involved. We don't know. So we show up in LA. We go to the court. I still don't even know actually how this process is going to work. I assume the judge is going to say something. The judge immediately just says, all right, you three companies are here to buy this. Go in that room over there. Sort it out amongst yourselves. This is kind of what you're talking about, right? <laughs> sort it out amongst yourselves and then come back to me and tell me who's the winner and what's the price. And we were like, what? And there's like, yeah, there'll be a mediator that will sit wow. there and like just watch the proceedings happen yeah. just to make sure there's no foul play. So we're like, we go in this tiny room, smaller than this room we're doing this podcast <laughs> in. And it's us and it's match.com. And then there's Tagged, which is another like okay, social okay. network, but then lost to MySpace, lost to Facebook, and was sort of still around. And so we sit down at this table. I have no idea what's going to happen. And I hoped it was a process like what you're talking about with some structure yeah, and like, you know, whatever. And instead it's like, okay, so... What's the starting bid? Uh, we'll start the bid at uh, one hundred fifty thousand. Okay. And we're like, so somebody says one hundred fifty. We're like, we'll do, and they just had some minimum, like you have to go up by whatever. As like, all right, we'll do one eighty. We'll do two thirty. Whatever. It just kept going up. <laughs> and did wait, so at this point, did you have a number in your head? Yeah. So we had in our mind, we had valued the thing. We were like, okay, I think this thing is probably worth you know just on the parts. If you just resold the parts right away, like it's the domain worth, like, name, the domain, the, yeah. the servers, the lists, uh, you know, stuff it's like a million that. Bucks or something. This might be half a million bucks. Half a million bucks. Okay. Uh, optimistically, half a million. Maybe it's three hundred fifty thousand. Whatever. We were talking about that. And then Michael, you know, in his wisdom, was like, look, I don't think we're going to go in and we're going to be able to get this for like 300 400,000. So like I don't think we should try to figure that out. I think we should be like what are we willing to pay? And I think this thing's going to go for a million bucks and I'm willing to pay a million bucks. Yeah, for him there's an emotion tied into it too. Like it was exactly. his baby. So he was like I'm willing to pay a million bucks and we're like okay, well, I guess that's our strategy now. <laughs> yeah, so in gonna... my head I'm like million bucks. I have no idea what these other guys are thinking. And we sit down and so it starts going up, starts creeping up. At about 350,000 tagged is like you could tell this guy was like, I flew to L.A. I thought, like, nobody would be here. Yeah. What the hell am I getting myself into? And yeah. He was just like, uh, like I'm out. I don't, I don't know what's going on here. Let you guys do whatever <laughs> you're going to do with this. So now it's just heads up, us and the IAC group. And so we we continue and it just and everybody's going up in very even increments of like whatever the first person threw out was like thirty thousand more or something like that. The next that's just how it went up every time. Every time. And uh, everyone, everyone tries to have like a poker face about themselves. And at about seven hundred thousand, they like stepped out of the room to be like, We need to make a phone call. Is that okay? We're like uh, the mediator was like, Yes, no yeah. problem. Uh, you can take a break. So they go out, take a phone call, and I huddle up with the lawyer. I'm like, Okay, this looks like this is probably what they were pre approved for. Because they got to go call their boss yeah. to figure out what they can do. They're either going to come back and say, no, take it. Fantastic. Or they're going to come back with a new kind of like top price in their mind. And so that's probably going to be an even number. So just test. Like every time it gets to 800, 900, or a million, don't let them get that number. Like jump above it a little bit. A little bit. And I talked to the mediator. I was like, hey, look, they can't do this again. And she's like, yeah, okay, we're not going to do any more. <laughs> we're not going to do any more breaks. Yeah. That interrupts the so process. So then you knew that they had an upper limit. And if you go a little bit above that upper right. limit, it's yours. Exactly. And I went I went outside to try to make small talk <laughs> with them too, to be like, man, what are you guys going to do with this awesome. anyways? And they actually, like like fools, were telling me what they were going to do with it. So I was like, oh, they don't have like a 
robust plan. It yeah. Was like, they yeah. just wanted the they SEO and they wanted some other benefits. So I was like, okay, these guys aren't super serious. <laughs> so that's exactly what happened. They come back in and it starts going up again. And at a million, our top was supposed to be a million. It was at 900 something. And she just, our lawyer just jumped and went 1 million and 15,000. <laughs> and just threw 15,000 on top. And they were just like, take it. And we were like, great. And were, I was like, what was your max? He's like, a million was our max. Yeah. And he's like, we just didn't know how far you guys would go. And I told him, I was like, dude, our guy's like emotionally attached to this. Like, he's going to keep going. You should just drop out now before, like, you know, this gets out of hand. And so they, they just let us take it at our also max. And so I, I just remember sitting there and be like, this was a crazy experience, like yeah. a crazy hand of poker I got to play. But I should have even thought in that moment, like, there's got to be a better way. And it sounds like you guys actually built a better way. But actually, like, the way you guys did it is not bad. I mean, yeah. so typically in that thing, what I would have suggested is, like, you each put a number in an envelope and and that's what it is. Right. But actually, like... What you guys did allows the bidding to go higher. Right. Because there's like excitement. <laughs> and like you said, like they had to go out and come like back in. Call, yeah. But like generally in auction theory, like we optimize for the fairest price. Okay. And we're not necessarily optimizing for the highest price. And that's but, why yours ends with the second highest price, basically. Yeah. And the reason for that is let's say if all three of you put your numbers into an envelope, yeah. you'd be thinking, like, what is somebody else willing to bid? Right. Instead, if it's like, I'm going to pay the second price anyway. You're going to put, put my in, max. Put yeah. my max. Yeah, that's brilliant. Okay. And you didn't invent that. You just took an That's like a known the auction theory thing. And like eBay auctions, if you actually can bid as high as you want and you'll pay increment one increment over the, the next, next highest bid. Right. So that's like a standard auction theory thing. We didn't invent it. Gotcha. So you basically built this high stakes eBay. Yeah. Selling internet real estate. Yeah. Which is incredible. And you did this. This whole process took about how long? So from, you know, you guys have the idea yeah. to like your first auction. How long was that? Because I like to give people a sense of like how long business takes to actually mature. Because when we say it, it sounds bang, bang, bang. Yeah. But things do take time. I think it sometimes. took like eight months. And that was a very difficult eight months. Yeah. Like we really didn't think it was going to work. And then we had no idea how much these things were worth. Like the first auction... So to give you an idea, I think we did eight names in that first auction, and we were, like, taking bets amongst ourselves, like, how much is <laughs> each of these things. The first ones we did, it was, like, dot .vote, dot .photography, dot .now, dot .red. Like, <laughs> these were the ones in the first right. auction that we did. And so, like, dot .photography, I'll use this as an example. Yeah. How much do you think dot .photography went for? Jeez, I have no frame of reference. Like, I don't even know what you can make off these. So, I, I mean, I'll, I'll throw a number out there just to be yeah. wrong. I don't know. Uh, so, I would say dot .photography, somebody's going to pay 15 million bucks for it. Okay. It actually went for a lot less. It was like a single digit million number. Okay. But a lot of people say that's a lot for dot photography. Like yeah. who's going to use dot photography? Yeah. Like it's, it's such rare. a long name. <laughs> like when you're used to like a three letter TLD or two letter even for the country codes, like dot photography is really long. But actually it turns out that photographers want to be like, they like their name dot photography. Right. They don't want their name dot photo because that seems unprofessional. So they like their name dot photography or like wedding dot photography or like San Francisco wedding dot photography, all these names. I'm not going to tell you exactly how much it costs, but yeah. let, let's say it costs three million bucks. Right. So when people learned of this, they were like, somebody paid three million dollars for dot photography? That makes no sense. But in that first year, they were selling these names for like 50 bucks, a dot photography name. And they sold like 100,000 in that first year. Right. In the first year, they made 5 million bucks out <laughs> right. of it. And then if you think <laughs> it's about it, it's, right? kind, it's a recurring, it's like yeah. kind of like an annuity. Like obviously there's degradation over time, there's churn, but like it's pretty consistent. Right. And so, so that set the tone then for you guys. Yeah. And then, and th there were peaks and valleys of like after that first auction and then the first name started selling and we realized, oh shit, people want these names. 
Then the prices started going up, and then we had some crazy ones that were in the hundreds, as I mentioned. And then after a while, when like the first several had a lot of success because they were the first names, the first <laughs> new names sold, and there were all these like domain squatters that were like buying right. them. <laughs> and then when we realized like, oh shit, now there are a lot of these new names. Then people started selling them. For less. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it started going Gotcha. Down. Okay. And so you said those eight months were tough. What was tough and how were you feeling during that time? Like, tell me some yeah. stories about So we didn't actually get any of the, like, we didn't get the biggest name folks involved in the first auction. Google, Amazon, that billionaire, none of them participated in that first auction. I see. And we were like, well, our business kind of blows if we don't get those guys in because, like, those guys are in the bulk of the auctions. Right. So we got these, like, piddly ones. Right. But not the big ones. And then we were we decided to take four percent. We had no idea how much it was gonna go for. So like and oh by the way, we had a half million dollar legal bill. So right. and how were you paying for this? Because this is such a weird company. It's such a weird company. So Did you we raise didn't money? Did you... we didn't raise any money. Okay. We self financed, but we basically just we self financed by not paying our legal bill. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're like, this is easy. Don't pay your bill. Yeah. <laughs> the funding, you, know, you don't need funding. <laughs> yeah. Because other than that, our only expenses were like our time. Right. And flying around to these conferences, and give, meeting with people. Give people a sense of: Were you wealthy before this? Were you doing okay? Were you broke? Because yeah, remember- no, I, I was, I was fine. Like I didn't need. The uh, previous so, job was like consulting or something. Yeah. So, so my background, like I was in consulting before. And I'd started a bunch of other random businesses that, you know. Tell me some of them. Yeah. So what was the first foray into business for you? I'd say like, first of all, like I always wanted to be like a businessman. So like (laughs) I joke, like on my LinkedIn, it used to just say businessman. Right. Because I always just wanted to be a businessman. I didn't even know exactly what it meant or, you know, whatever. (laughs) Like I would always be like doing stupid shit, like fixing computers as a kid. I think a lot of people have these stories. Yep. Were you an eBay flipper? I've noticed this with my guests. A lot of them sold stuff online on eBay or I never. I didn't do much of that. I did a little bit, but not. I wouldn't call that my profession ever. Okay. Also, like a timing thing. So I, but I did sell like you know I got a CD-ROM and made CDs and I sold to high school kids. Right. Like these sorts of small things. Sure. And then in 2002 or something like that, or 2003 maybe, the iPod Mini had just come out in four different colors. It was blue, green, yellow, and pink, and. The Apple headphones at that time were really iconic. If you remember, yeah, like those, in the ads, that was all the ads were. It was yeah. a silhouette with white. Uh, exactly. Headphones. So they had those iconic headphones. I got this iPod Mini from my work at the time, and my headphones broke. Like they, I was biking, and they fell on my bicycle spokes or something, and like they, they broke. And so I went to the Apple store, and Apple wasn't selling replacement headphones at that time. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to make headphones that look exactly the same as those headphones, and then match them in the different colors that the iPod Mini is in. So we did that, made headphones in those different colors. I like found a cheap flight to China, flew to China. Like I didn't know anything about China, but I flew. I was like, I knew Southern China is where like How all the electronics were being made. Uh, twenty two, twenty three. Uh, no, actually, I wasn't even twenty two. I was twenty one. I think, yeah. And so you you're just like, okay, I need to go figure out where these things are made. Yeah, <laughs> I need to get somebody to make these, the ones I want. Actually, I flew to Hong Kong. There was some like electronic show that I like read about online. I was like, I'll go to this electronic show. I'll meet somebody, <laughs> and that'll get me in. And so I went to this electronic show in Hong Kong, and then I did, actually. Like, I met a bunch – like, these electronic shows are amazing, by the way. Like, it's just, like, an insane number of people selling the same shit. And, like, they don't (laughs) speak English at at that time. So you're just, like, on a calculator negotiating, like, in dollars. (laughs) And you're just, like, pointing, and then, like, you know, they're, like, $8. And then you're, like, no, 15 cents. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The difference is, like, 100x. Yeah. Yeah. And so ultimately, I got these headphones. I got these Apple headphones for 80 cents a piece, wow. including packaging, everything. And I did, like, I 
at this Hong Kong fair, I went and I like negotiated and then I went to visit the factory. That was awesome, by the way. And then I went to this other fair called the Canton Fair. I've heard about this. Yeah. Okay. So it's the world's largest trade fair. I think it's like, it's twice a year, April and October. I think 300,000 people go to this fair. It's in the world's largest trade convention center. It's like massive kilometer long. Thing. Yeah. My friend told me this is like hundreds of football fields or something like hundreds that. Hundreds of football like, fields. That's exactly right. Like just the fair is so big. And so it's like, oh, I'm interested in headphones or his yeah. thing was socks. And he's like, dude, there's like thousands, thousands. of sock providers in yeah. a row. Like you, you'll start your morning on one side and <laughs> yeah. by the end, yeah. you're like, it's dinner time. And I'm still, there's more, more providers here to go talk. So to. You can buy literally anything from like a pencil or no, not even a pencil, like to the like the cap that holds the eraser onto right. your pencil. You could buy like that in <laughs> a piece container quantities. <laughs> Dude, like, I have to go to the Canton. Two, you could buy like construction equipment. Like you can <laughs> buy everything there um, in container quantities. Right. So anyway, I w- went to that. It was just an amazing experience. Like for a young kid, it was my first time to like China, and I so learned you're a lot. Kind of fearless. I think one thing that is common in a couple of these stories. I mean, we've only touched on a couple of things you've done, but you have a willingness just to get up and go. Like, just go yeah. to the convention, go to the conference, just go meet, like, go meet him. Yeah, just try it out. Cause, like, what's the harm? Like, the harm is you fail, but then you've learned something. And I think that, like, I've always been willing to try stuff mm-hmm. and it doesn't always work. And actually, I, I have a poor memory of, like, bad stuff. So like <laughs> I'm, I only time. remember the good stuff, but like, but actually in the the auction business there definitely were hard times where like <laughs> me and my co-founder were like at odds with each other. We were like, this is really hard and annoying, and also like you know living in San Francisco, our bidders were all over the world, so we're like getting on calls at three a.m. like all this shit. It was just like a tense time, yeah. especially if we knew the business wasn't going to work. And then when we had that first auction, we were like, oh, all right, this is happening. Right. It's on. We're going to convince Google. We're going to convince everyone. And it was awesome. So but anyway, going back to the, the headphone business, I started buying some real estate. I grew up in Pittsburgh. Okay. I bought my first house. I was 22 years old. We live in San Francisco now, so it is unbelievable Price. what I paid for it. Okay. So, t- talk so okay, so let me tell you about the house and you guess what I paid for okay. it. <laughs> so pretty hip, like up and coming neighborhood. Now, you know, 15 years later, it's like one, like probably the coolest neighborhood. At that time, it was like in transition. And it was a two bedroom, one bath with a garage small porch yard yeah guess what i paid for it okay so i don't know what year this was it sounds like it was a while back this was 2004 maybe 2004 okay so educated guess i think this is gonna be very cheap i think it's gonna be like under one hundred fifty thousand dollars, maybe under a hundred thousand dollars so i'm gonna say like 80 grand is my guess okay close yeah i paid forty seven thousand dollars for it <laughs> and so your down payment is what eight grand <laughs> yeah yeah it's right? hilarious right <laughs> it's like that's like one month of rent for somebody in san francisco right. and that's you like the it's, whole house yeah the whole house yeah it's funny because you know a few years ago here i actually like i was living with a buddy some buddies of mine we were paying eight thousand bucks a month in rent yeah one month and that's sort of six months of rent was the equivalent <laughs> of the house that i bought in right. pittsburgh and so i bought that house you bought it to live in or you bought it to rent to rent out okay and you know kind of like did some minor fixing ups and then ultimately rented it out like got the rent over five years up to like 1100 bucks a month yep. so actually it was a very fast payback on yes. on the investment and then I actually bought another house in Pittsburgh and then ended up buying – realized that there's an, there's a good opportunity if you buy a multi-unit. So like if you buy under a four-unit, it's still considered residential. Yep. 
so you don't have to get a commercial loan. You get a residential loan, which is favorable rates. So I started. I really liked the idea of buying multi units. So I bought a three unit in Chicago, and I, I, I had moved to Chicago, so I bought it, Where lived there. Yeah. Here in San Francisco, I bought a four unit. And yeah, I, you were I, telling I, me you still have that one, right? Still have that one. Yeah, that thing's it, a cash cow, right? The, yeah, the, it's it's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, and it's hard to find a cash cow in the Bay. Area. Yeah, because here it's an appreciation game, not yeah. a cash flow game. But you, I think you got both here. Yeah, you you know like. Again, it's like I would say being willing to just go in. Like sometimes, like the best opportunities are like there are no pictures of this thing online. You know, <laughs> right. you're like, what the hell? Like, right. what kind of stupid real estate agent doesn't put pictures of a place? Right. And then you look inside and it's gorgeous. And then you're like, okay, that person just lost out on like like that person lost the seller many hundreds of thousands of dollars because like people didn't go see this place because they didn't have you know stuff like that it's weird yeah those are the opportunities so when you bought this first house you're only 22 years old you're buying this place you want to rent it out so you're thinking already how do i get an asset yeah how do i make cash flow off of it which a lot of people who are listening to this right now they're either a are already doing that or want to do something like that some of it is yeah i need the confidence to you know take the leap but the other part is like what i call the light bulb turning on so were you Reading a book and we're like, oh, this is this is how this strategy works. Did you have a mentor? Were your parents yeah. telling you what to okay. do? Okay, so it's really weird. There, I, I was just like searching the internet like crazy for this, and there was this forum. Do you remember Fat Wallet? Yes. Okay, so Fat Wallet was a place where you could trade like coupons or like the right. best deals. They had a forum section, and actually, this forum section had this one thread about buying a house and like making money by buying houses, and it had like. Thousands of responses. And I read this thing religiously before I bought this house. And I was like, this is it. This is the first house. I'm going to do it. And it's definitely nervous. I <laughs> Did didn't you have post much it on money. there like, hey, guys, this is the one I'm yeah. looking at. Here's the numbers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Like here's that. the numbers. Like, what do you think? That's how and, I learned to play poker. There's two plus two forums is this long time forum on the Internet. Yeah. And that's where I, lo- you know, I would just read this thing all night. And because I didn't know any friends who did this. Yeah, same. I, I didn't really know people in the in the space. Yeah, actually, you know, my, my dad like knew I was interested and like he had another family. Like we had another family friend that was interested. So he like had me go sit down with that uncle and like just learn from him for a couple of hours what right. he did. And then but then this forum is really what I where I learned a lot. Right. And so that was it. That, that gave me the confidence to do it. Unbelievable. Okay, so you did the you did some real estate. What were some of the other were there any other notable businesses? You did the headphones thing. How much were you making out of the headphones thing? You sort of you get you get these so yeah headphones. rough numbers because I don't remember the specifics. You know we were buying these things for under a buck and we sold them online for depending we sold them for like fifteen or twenty bucks. So obviously great profit margin, but we didn't really know how to market. But this is a great crash course for me on marketing. Right. So originally we only bought a thousand headphones. So it only actually cost a thousand dollars to set up this business because <laughs> you bought that. I mean, obviously there was my trip to China, whatever, whatever, but like, you know, it was under, it was like a few thousand dollars maybe to set up the business and then, you know, made the website and then we we're trying to figure out how to market online. And I'd never done it before. And I think this was at a time where there weren't like your standard ways to do it. And like Facebook wasn't really a thing, but when Facebook launched, I was actually one of the first marketers on Facebook. And so here's how it worked. Actually, I think you'll really like this. So Facebook at that time, when they launched ads for the first time, they were ads on your campus. Because okay. remember, Facebook at that time was like All only campuses. within your campus. So yeah. like I went to Carnegie Mellon University. So I had access. I could put an ad. And the idea was like you'd put a flyer for a party. And it, it would. It, this, is, this is how like 
unsophisticated they were at that time. It's insane to imagine Facebook being so unsophisticated now. Right. But it, it was like... Everybody sees it, basically. It was Everybody sees it on the campus. <laughs> and it was 5 or $10 per day to market right. to everyone <laughs> on your campus. And it didn't matter what campus you were at. So what I did at that time was I got friends who went to the University of Michigan and like Ohio State. And I was just like, what are the biggest universities that I have friends at? Because that's going to be the cheapest ad space. So I got their Facebook passwords and I posted as if I was them right. these ads. And that, that ended up being like Amazing. a, a clever so hack. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And so it was like just like – like you asked about how much money we made. I, I actually don't remember. But we, we ended up selling 11,000 – I remember our first order was 1,000 headphones. Our second order was 10,000 headphones. So we bought them for nothing, like yeah. 11,000 bucks. And then – you know, we sold them for whatever, 150 plus thousand, but we spent a lot on marketing. Yeah. So it was a great side business that I would say the money was really great to me at that time right. in my life. Yeah. In college, um, it's like, wow. I mean, if, if you make a thousand bucks a month in college, like, yeah. is an, uh, It was an insane, it was a great amount of money. But more importantly, I learned like how to market online. Right. And, and like I was, we were doing all sorts of other stuff. Like at that time, blogs were really popular. And that was how a lot of people got content. And so we would do like giveaways with blogs. It was just like, it, it was a time to experiment. I think at that time there wasn't a lot, of, people weren't writing a lot about how to market online. Right. And so I had to like figure it out on my own, which was awesome. Yes. That's great. And so you've done a bunch of different things. And so you've you know made a little accessories company. <laughs> yeah. I think you did stock options. You just trading at some yeah, point? Yeah, options trading. Yeah. So this was actually like through a friend of mine. A friend of mine really got me into this. And we basically realized that you could look at mostly internet companies. You could look at like Google Trends data. And at this time, which was like near, like 10 years ago, the market totally was not correcting for this already. Right. So we would look at Google Trends data, like make an estimate on whether there were a lot of visits to that site or not. So we would, we were doing things for like Priceline.com, TripAdvisor, yep. TravelZoo, like these sites. And we'd basically make guesses based on this like trends data. mainly this one data source which was like google trends <laughs> right. data this one blue squiggly line yeah <laughs> and we sort of like see what the analysts had recommended and then we basically based on google trends data we were like okay do we think this company is going to outperform this quarter and so we would do an options trade literally we would do it the day of earnings and that earnings we either had <laughs> <laughs> made a killing or not. Right. But we did pretty well. And I would say like with the trends data, we were probably right three out of five times, which if you're trading options is pretty good. Right. And so you've dabbled in all these different things from trading to real estate to starting a, you know, a tech business. You're an angel investor right now. Yeah. You've made a podcast and sold a podcast, which nobody freaking does. <laughs> That's so true. if you haven't heard the pitch, check out the pitch. Yeah. It's now you sold it to Gimlet. Gimlet, which so got acquired by Spotify. So you've done all this awesome stuff. I think it's great because it's kind of inspiring because I, I myself also don't want to be one track for my whole life. Yeah. There's some things I know I'll do forever. I'll always be interested in businesses. I'll always be interested in teaching, which is kind of how I think about this podcast. Yeah. But I, you know, who knows? I might dabble in 10 different things. What's been your favorite? So most fun ones to work on. I'm curious about that. And then the second is in terms of money making, which one do you think was actually the best way to make money? Was it more investing, starting your own company, the uh, online online sales of, uh, of different stuff, options trading, real estate? So yeah. Which one was most fun and which one was the best for money? Yeah, I'd say the most fun, like I had some pretty high highs with the auction business. 
And it was mainly because for the first time in my life, I felt like, boy, this is something that I am really good at. And like, it was really like this business development, making these deals happen. So I'd say like, you had to have like some strategic thinking, like understanding of economics to build this auction model and like be a people person to connect with these people. And I felt like this was a perfect, this was really good for me. Yeah. And I had such high highs when it started to work. Like I, I told you, like I had such low lows also <laughs> right. like with my co-founder and like, but when it was working, I was like, boy, for the first time in my life, you know, I was like 30 years old, 30 something. And right. I was like, for the first time in my life, this is what I'm meant to be doing. Something right. that like brings all my like skills together and like my weaknesses are, <laughs> I can let go of a little bit and let other people handle it. Right. So that was a super high high. Another high high actually was not this is sort of counter to this podcast, but I spent a year volunteering in India mm-hmm. and I was doing microfinance and I lived on a dollar a day. And actually, you know, like in India, it's not as hard as obviously this year, right. but like I learned a lot by that process too. And that was I think also it's just an adventure you wanted to go on. It was on. an adventure. Yeah. There was no like calculated purpose for going no, and doing that. No, no, no. It was an adventure. So I'd say like recommendations wise, like fucking choose adventure like so give me an example where you could have chose non-adventure you could have chose maybe a a practical choice or yeah well i mean like when i did that i was a management consultant making a six-figure salary at 25 years old and i chose to move to india for zero money and it was amazing and like how did you make that decision like what was the what was like your thought process? You're like, okay, today I'm doing this. Tomorrow, yeah. I'm gonna be in India living on a dollar a day. What yeah, was... I was getting like annoyed at the management consulting life, and as you do, as you do, <laughs> as everybody who you know has worked in banking, <laughs> consulting, like lawyer, big yeah. law, everybody knows this feeling. And then I had seen this movie. It's called Rung Devasanti, an Indian movie, and it was like very inspiring to me. Yeah. So I saw this movie, and I was like, I want to do something for India. And so just for background, like I grew up in America. But my parents are of Indian heritage, and I always felt a strong tie to India, even though I'd never really lived there. So I was like, I got to do something for India. I heard about this fellowship, applied for the fellowship, and I ended up working with Kiva, kiva kiva.org, for those of you guys who don't know. It's a really cool site. It lets you make a loan to an individual in the developing world. So for example, you can go on the site and with $25 on your credit card, help a farmer in Ghana buy an irrigation pump. And you get your money back almost always. It's like 99 plus percent repayment rate, but you don't get any interest. So that what you're giving up is your interest. And so and you could just reinvent, you could just roll it over to the next person. Roll it over to the next so person. Inv- you put 25 bucks in once and you might end up helping 10 people over the course of a few years or whatever. That's exactly right. Yeah. As, as you get paid back. Yeah. So I was doing that in India and I was helping set up India for them and there were regulatory constraints anyway. But like the coolest thing was I got to experience so many different things. Like through the course of this year, I ended up, we like followed people around who were like in our demographic. So I spent a day as a rag picker. So rag pickers are like the recyclers of India. They go around. It's like in San Francisco, you see like these like Asian men and women like picking up the cans. cans yeah. in, in India, it's like really poor people who like do this stuff for recycling. And so I spent a day with this like kid who was probably like 11 or 12 years old, just following him around, picking up rags, like learning what's recyclable, what's not. It's funny, like I actually re- I learned at that time that still applies to me today, like plastics are just not really that recyclable. Yeah. And especially like the shit we throw here, it's just actually not that recyclable. Like things you should use more like aluminum, st- like stuff that, that you can recycle. It was such a hard job. And I was like, oh, for the first time in my life, this is something I really cannot do ever again. <laughs> like there was a time where we like, we jumped into 
a dumpster and like a dumpster in india is really fucking gross <laughs> right. like the street is dirty the, the street imagine is, the dumpster that's exactly right like the street is so dirty the dumpster <laughs> is just shit but we were you know we went in there and i realized man people have really hard lives and i think before that i didn't truly have an appreciation for how difficult other people have it because i you know i grew up not in a rich family or anything but like middle class my parents you know my dad's an engineer never had to worry about anything in life and this was the first time i realized boy like life is tough and it made me really appreciate that and also want to like spend some part of my life in you know helping those people or or something so now what i do is i invest in fintech companies And, you know, everybody, like, the bullshit thing is, like, we're making the world a better place, whatever, whatever. I definitely can't argue that all of our investments do that. But I think we strive to try to make the world a little bit better. And it's, like, you know, helping underserved could be one angle to it. It could be helping people like us just, like, oh, shit, dealing with my bank sucks. Like, I want a better alternative. So, And do you think you'll ever jump back in? The operating side? Yeah, to start another business. It's a great question. Like, I'm surprised you've been investing for as long as you have been. Yeah, it's it's true. I I think part of... The reason it's been good for me is I'm I invest really early and then have companies working out of my office. So the companies working out of my office, like every day I'm talking to them. So I get the feeling that I'm working on them and I share in you know some of their highs. It's not the same yeah. because like the highs are not nearly as high, but also the lows are not nearly as low. So it's kind of Fair nice. Enough. Yeah. So so for me, I like getting my hands dirty with the companies. So. I do do that, and that's where I get I get some fulfillment. But I think maybe ultimately, I'm really enjoying investing. I'm probably going to be doing this for a while. You know, in retirement or something, I probably will start some other businesses. Nice. You have this investing framework, six T's. <laughs> you found it online. I'm coining this for you. Great. Yeah. You said this. It's not like super, super revolutionary. They're sort of obvious things, but I like the six T's. I think that most people. It hasn't been put that way, I don't think. Yeah, uh, and it's pretty catchy, so I like it. I don't even know if you remember all the all the sixteen. Now, now I'm like, man, I what can, are they? I can help you. I, I hear. I'll, I'll tell you what I remember. But, but tell it through a story because you invested in you've invested in some good companies. Take you know an investment you're really proud of. Yeah, and then walk us through the six T's, and then we'll we'll wrap up after that. Sure. So um, we'll talk about Flexport because it's like a few billion dollar company. Flexport's okay. amazing. Yeah. So so Flexport for really, those who don't know for yeah. those who don't know it's like a. It started out as a customs broker, and now it's like a really all-things shipping company, mostly focused on trans-Pacific trade, so like U.S. to China. And that U.S. to China, I think, is like 30% of the global trade, so it's a it's a big right. thing. So they're connecting who? They're connecting the cargo, the shippers, basically, with people, with the customers who are trying to send, receive, and then the brokers yep. in between, essentially, right? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So I met Ryan, the CEO, like five years ago. How'd you meet him? Did you just reach out to him cold, or he reached out no, to no, you? No, no, no. Friend of a friend. And we met at a party and I was like, this guy's awesome. Like we shared this like love for like hacking stuff. So to give you another example, at that time we were buying AdWords with our Uber promo codes. And what does that mean? So you know how like (laughs) there's an Uber referral, you get like 10 bucks if somebody else uses your referral code. Yep. So you were just advertising. We were just advertising our referral code on Google. And so we were buying Uber for 20 cents on the dollar. (laughs) <laughs> great <laughs> so we like we totally bonded over these like hacky things that we love to do yeah. and and then I was like okay like when you're he was telling me he was at the time not you were doing that with him or you were doing that with your other friend with him oh with him okay and then he was telling me like you know he wanted to start this business Flexport before he went to YC like all this stuff and I was like dude whenever you're ready like I'm giving you money yeah. but you know, I, I said that early on and it was really strength of team so like the first, first T, T is team okay like this guy 
you know, I could tell he's somebody who's going to break through walls to, to, to make success happen. And not only that, like he'd already been successful. He had this other company called Import Genius. So he knew Import Genius, basically a list of all of like the stuff that's being imported in the U.S. and makes it easily accessible. And so he he was doing like several millions of dollars a year in that bootstrap business right. in revenue. And it's a, obviously a related business to his, the business that he wanted to start. So like he knew what he was doing. Team checkmark. Team checkmark. Technology. So like the second T. Is there a technology need here? Fuck yeah. Like this is all a paper and pen and fax process. Old school. Old school. Customs brokers are like phone banks. Like you're on the yeah. phone calling people. And so like is there a need for technology? Absolutely. Okay. Another T. This is kind of a cheat. Total addressable market. Okay. <laughs> sure. How big is the market? How big is the market? Shipping? Are you kidding me? It's a trillion dollar market. Okay. So easy, easy check. Or three T's on the way to six. Three T's on the way to six. Is it six or is it five? Maybe five. Or four? Or three? <laughs> Maybe it's just three. No, no, no. <laughs> traction. Traction. Yeah. So traction was one. In this case, when I invested, he didn't have any. Right. And But with his previous business, which was in a related space. Yeah, exactly. So you kind of like, at some point, you make a leap of faith and say, this guy's going to bust through walls and get the traction. And also, like, early traction, if you're able to start selling into other startups, you can get that. Like, right. I didn't have a doubt that he would be able to get that. So he did. I have the two other T's for you. Excellent. Tell me. Terms. Terms. Okay. So what are the terms of the deal? Yeah. So the terms were fair. Yeah. And, and you know. So that investment for you now is, that's a big win. It's a big win. Are you going to make more off that than you did off any of your businesses? You might. No. Probably so, not. Okay, probably walk, not. Walk but through, but it, it, it is a very. Walk people through a normal angel investment. So let's say, oh, okay, I'm listening to this podcast. I'm inspired by all these tech companies. Yeah. I want to write $25,000 checks. Yeah. And that's and, what I was doing, by the way. 25000 And, you know, sometimes at the earliest stages, like, you know, I didn't have that much money. Yeah. I was like, you know, would you let me in for, like, they would be like. Yeah, can what's, I do 10? I, I'd be like, what's your minimum? And they'd be like, I'll 50. Do, I'll do be half like, that. Yeah, I'll do half that. Okay, I'll do 25. <laughs> if you'll let me. Okay, so, and then you have to be like, I'm, I'm going to be so helpful to your business, whatever, whatever. Because I'm doing some angel investing now, but I don't know if I'm doing it right. Okay, so here's how I'm thinking about it. Tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah. So I think that I'm going to be writing checks that are about 25000 on average. And I'm setting aside three to 400000 to do it. So yeah. I'm like, okay, that's, that's great. like- 10 bets or 12, 15. If, I, yeah. if some of these are lower checks, then I get to 12, 15 bets. Yeah. And, and I'm risking, you know, let's say that that's going to be less than, it's going to be like 10% of net worth, basically. That's, I think that's the right. right. That's so I'm like, okay, start. if I lose it, I lose it. But that's how many bets I have. So yeah. is that, you know, where were you kind of, how was your calculus when you're like, all right, I'm going to start writing these risky checks? I would say my calculus was similar. Similar, yeah. And then I ended up doing a lot more of them, but I had some early signs that things were going really well. Now, part of it is at that time was a great time to invest as compared to today, <laughs> unfortunately. Right. Like the valuations were just so much lower. Yep. Some of these companies, you know, I invested in that are now billion dollar companies. I invested at $5 million valuations and now those companies raising a seed round might be like 12. And if you think about it, like that that's a big difference. Cuts your return in half. Yeah, in half. Yeah. And people like, people really don't think about entry point valuation as much as they really should. Right. And so, okay. So in a, in a win state, you write a $25,000 check at, let's say whatever, 5 million valuation. Yeah. You, it becomes a multi, it comes a billion dollar company, a one to $3 billion company, something like yeah. that. What do you make as an angel investor on a home run like that? What is the base? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Sure. So, here, let me just. I, I think the way because so, you have to factor in a little bit of dilution. Yep. Okay. So so let's say um, let's say you invested twenty five k in uh, Flexport seed round. So Flexport seed round it was at a uh, there, there were many different seeds. Like, it was many different seeds, but like where I invested the first seed, it was a ten million dollar cap, which okay. was very expensive at the time. But yeah. I had faith. I had faith in Ryan, and the seventh T faith. 
Faith. <laughs> Faith. Faith. Uh, the hard T. The hard T, yeah. And so he's taken a lot of money in yeah. subsequently. And now it's a $3 billion company. But obviously, it's not 300 times your money right. because there's been so much dilution along the way. So actually, where this one sits today, I think, is 87 times. So that $25,000 ended up becoming over $2 million. 25 grand turns into over $2 million. Yeah. And and so some a lot of people are selling now. Yeah. I'm not. I, I'm still a believer in the company. So like, so it could end up being more. It could end up being a lot more. Yeah. If you believe and like the company keeps to gr- continues to grow, Like, could this be 10x? And then you're talking like, wow, that's a lot of money right. <laughs> for an individual. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, great. And I think the last T, if I remember that you had said, was totally random. And totally I like random. this one, so I want to make yeah. sure we, we touch on it. So totally random. Yeah. So it's like when I make an investment in a company, I'm investing in a person typically or people. And I want to spend time with these people. And if I can't spend time with these people, I'm not interested in investing. Mm-hmm. And it's been like, you know, the folks that I've invested in, I've like spoken at their weddings. Like, it's been awesome. Yeah. And like, like so Ryan, for example, like, you know, his bachelor party was a month ago. We had a really good time. He's investing in my new fund. Like, these are relationships that I, like, I want to really cultivate. Right. And for me, I have a lot of fun talking about business. So I want to have other friends to talk about business with and help them. Or, you know, even if, if I'm not helping them, I'm learning about what they do. So the totally random piece is like, are these cool people? Like, can I have random discussions with them and have a good time? Awesome. Dude, you have a hell of a story. I'm really glad we did this. Caught you when you were back in town because you travel all around the world. (laughs) Following you on Facebook is like following the National Geographic. It's like, (laughs) oh, he's in a tunnel in Egypt and he's posting a photo. Then he's like, you know, at the top of this (laughs) tower in Moscow or wherever. You were a traveler. Um, All right. So this was awesome. If somebody listens to this and they want to either help you, get in touch with you, something like that, how should people follow you, find you? Twitter is good, or you can email so what's me. Your, what's your Twitter handle? At Pitdesi, P-I-T-D-E-S-I. <laughs> Pit. nice. So for those of you who don't know, so I grew up in Pittsburgh, so Pitt and then Desi. Desi is like short for Indian. Indian, yeah. And this is like totally lame, but I, I've had it since eighth grade. So yeah. <laughs> it was my AOL yeah, screen. You kept your AOL handle. I kept my AOL handle. Most of us knew to shed that in like college. We were like, oh, wait, <laughs> yeah. that was stupid. I'm no longer, that mine was Mr. Goobopple. So I'm no longer Mr. Goobopple. I don't even know what that was, <laughs> yeah. but I got rid of it. Twitter's easy. Email. I'm starting a new fund and just starting to fundraise for it. It's called Better Tomorrow. Yeah. And I'm shield at btv.vc. Okay. I'm going to invest in your fund. Awesome. Great. Let's do it. That's fun, man. I need a dollar, dollar, dollar. That's